But when you get into data privacy, it's more of a spectrum um, and it's more complex because there's a lot of different pieces to it. And then there's kind of that other side that says, you know what, users should have the ability to control it, of course, but we're not, we don't think the right answer is locking down that data access instead. You know, we need everyone to kind of align. I would love to say, you know, there's going to be a federal privacy regulation, but just given how politics operate in the US and how regulation comes to be, um, I'm, I'm not in the camp of people that really think we're going to see it. Jobs in ad tech. If you're looking for a new role in the industry, there's only one place to go. Free job listing for all recruiters and talent acquisition managers until September. Go to jobsinadtech.com today. Jobs in ad tech. Hello and welcome to the AdPod. Today we are talking about data privacy in the US and I am joined by Julia Schuldman, who is a senior privacy advisor and consultant. Data privacy is impacting all of our jobs in advertising. And one of the challenges with that is keeping up to date with the moves and incentives of those making those changes. From the gatekeepers to regulators to publishers and ad tech. And then to make it even more complex, there are different approaches all around the world. Today, however, we're focusing on the US, one of the biggest advertising markets in the world, and one which I think would be fair to say has quite a different approach to data privacy and the use of personal data compared to Europe. This episode is so good. Julia is super knowledgeable, but also very pragmatic. You'll learn a ton just listening to her. Anyway, all that leads me to say is that I hope you enjoy this episode of The Ad Pod. Hey, Julia. Welcome to the AdPod. How are you doing? Hi, Wayne. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Yeah, great. I mean, we were just discussing the sort of smoky skies of Manhattan, but uh, aside from that, can't complain. All good. Right. We're, uh, um, we're lucky that we're, our houses are not on fire like folks oh, in Canada. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, before we get into it, for those who don't know you, would you mind giving us a quick intro to your career and what it is you do now? Sure. So I, uh, one of those privacy attorneys who actually did not start out in privacy, began my career for about a decade in mergers and acquisitions, uh, joined AppNexus in the, uh, like around 2012, 2013. Uh, and from there held a number of different roles throughout the ad tech ecosystem. So supported the publisher technology group at AppNexus through the launch of header bidding and, uh, the ad server took over privacy kind of went through the AT&T acquisition, uh, moved over to Triple Lift, where I was the general counsel and chief privacy officer. Uh, we sold that company about two years ago, and I'm out on my own now uh, with an advisory firm kind of working for a variety of different tech companies, uh, whether they're really early stage or late stage, helping on both legal strategy and product related matters. Awesome. Well, we're talking about data privacy in the US. So we've got definitely the right person. Um, and for this season of the ad pod, we'd, we'd like our listeners to get to know our guests a bit more beyond just the professional sense. And we're doing that by kind of asking for an interesting fact. So would you mind sharing an interesting fact about yourself? 
an interesting fact. Uh, so little do most folks know, but I'm, I'm an American archer. So pre uh, archery becoming kind of a craze with, uh, with the hunger games and everything else. Um, I did archery. I competed in archery and I'm, I'm one of those folks who kind of goes and visits the archery ranges in Brooklyn when I was still living in Manhattan. Uh, and now that I'm out on Long Island, I have a couple of archery ranges that I visit. Amazing. That's awesome. That's kind of quite a unique thing to do. I don't think yeah. I've ever met someone that's archery. <laughs> I'll take you to the archery range next time. I'm in, I'm in the cool. Um, so, you know, we tend to start episodes of the iPod with definitions, just so that everyone's kind of on the same page. Um, so how would you define online data privacy in the U.S.? So generally speaking, there are there's a lot of um, confusion, I think, and conflation of the topics of security and data privacy. And while security is about securing data, once you've got access to it, data privacy is about users having knowledge about who's collecting their data, what they're doing with it, uh, being able to prevent some of those use cases, and then after the fact, you know, being able to access their data request deletion, et cetera. So really two different buckets. And in the U.S., it's really been about the right to uh, be free from intrusion. So really started off when folks didn't want to necessarily have uh, people knowing what they were up to in their own homes. I got you. So why do you think the two get conflated? Why does uh, security and data privacy conflate? Security has just been, uh, you know, at an earlier stage, I think it's easier, frankly, to create frameworks around it. It's easier Mm -hmm. to understand it. It's easier to grasp. Like just once you've got data, make sure it's locked down, make sure it's secure, encrypt it, you know, make sure uh, you're doing everything possible to prevent attacks on systems to try to access that data. But when you get into data privacy, it's more of a spectrum um, and it's more complex because there's a lot of different pieces to it. Uh, and there's frankly a lot of disagreement, you know, about what users should have uh, control over and not. And I see you nodding. So this is just the this <laughs> this is the online debate around whether uh, individuals, users care about data rights and having access to it and being able to prevent certain uses over it, um, or whether that you know they should they should be comfortable with companies using that data online in order to provide them a better user experience and free content um, and access to products and services. Yeah. And I think um, I was nodding because it used to really frustrate me in the early days of talking about like uh, data privacy, because I'd have one view, someone has another view and you're just like, you, you never really go anywhere. Like, but I think now I'm just, I think I am, I hopefully others are, more understanding of that spectrum, like the, the different you know, use cases that's required and different perspectives and still kind of trying to figure this out and the regulation still being set all around the world, So, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that spectrum approach, hopefully listeners going into this conversation will have that as well. Um, I guess so what I find quite interesting is, you know, if I speak to like my my mum and she talks about data privacy in the real world, you know, someone getting her home address or getting her telephone number. Um, and then I talked to her about online data privacy. Like she's like, oh, what's a cookie? What's an IP address? What's, you know, why, well, my email address is attached to stuff. Um, how do those two worlds kind of actually, do they do they meet from like a legal perspective or are they considered quite different on like the for a consumer? 
They do meet from a legal perspective. It certainly depends on you know which market you're in and and whether you're in a um, a broadly regulated market or whether you're in a market in a country where there are more sectoral um, and uh, service specific requirements. But generally speaking, if you look at like the GDPR and you look at a lot of the state regulations that are coming down in the U.S., they they're just broadly about uh, the use of personal data, whether that's online or offline. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's, I think it's. I think sometimes people think it's one or the other, but it's essentially a user, a personal data, wherever they are. Yeah, um, I mean, but, but a lot of times it's a good question, and so there's there's two things I'd kind of flag to folks. There is is one it, for folks who are not as well versed in how the internet operates and how data is accessed, collected, used online. Um, you can see regulators and others that are influencing regulators kind of take a model that was built from someone filling out a form on a piece of paper and kind of checkboxing. Yes, I understand, you know, how my healthcare data is going to be used, et cetera. And trying to translate that into a digital world, which is incredibly tough to do. And then I think the second thing to think about is as technologies adapted, uh, become more complex, become more sophisticated, it is pretty easy to collect and connect data that is collected offline with data that's um, collect it online and actually use it and deploy it for a variety of use cases. I think there's there's more education needed on just generally how the online ecosystem works and what works best or not around user transparency and control. But then there's also some education needed about how offline data is moved online and vice versa. Right, right. And how much of how much of that education is on the user? I think this is actually quite like a um, what's the word contentious point. Because some people think the user, there's an expectation when they go to a website or use a service that there is just a quid pro quo. Others think there should be like a really explicit way the user opts in. But what you find is, and using very like rule of one here, using my mum again, she just ticks yes to anything. Um, and that's not really explicit consent. So like, how do you think about the that education? Because I hear it quite a lot about educating the users and the industry should do a better job. But that feels like an almost bottomless pit of just how you're going to educate everyone on how to use data. Like, so how do you, how do you think about that with the user and education? There's two schools of thought. Uh, so there is the school of thought you're saying, which is just, Hey, you know, we, maybe we've done a bad job uh, historically educating uh, folks around how this is, how this is occurring, what kind of controls they should have, et cetera. And there is another school of thought that spun up that's just said, you know what, frankly, like this is too complex. People, really can't understand this, we should instead either regulate, self-regulate, or provide solutions that make decisions on behalf of users, but but are very controlled. So you see kind of the locked down data ecosystem model, we'll probably get into this a bit, a bit more around the platforms that do control operating systems, browsers, so the gates that users use to get online, they are, you know, they're making changes, removing signal, uh, so that user data is is not shared as often and its use is actually controlled at a technical level by um, everyone in the ecosystem. And then there's kind of that other side that says, you know what, users should have the ability to control it, of course, but we're not, we don't think the right answer is locking down that data access instead. You know, we need everyone to kind of align around a use case framework and align around which ones require opt-in, opt-out, which ones are illegal or not. Uh, and then we all need to kind of honor, honor. Uh, say that you know we are we are abiding by user choice um, across the ecosystem. 
And I see both sides, right? There's a lot of different, you're nodding. It's sort of this, to your point, like bottomless pit of debate, depending on where you are on the side of the ecosystem. Um, I tend to sort of fall in the middle of saying, hey, look, you know, it's probably not the best to completely lock down um, access to data and create one, two, three choke points for everything, because that's, that's just never good. Um, for an ecosystem, but I do think there's a way to control and lock things down to a certain extent and provide opportunities um, in a more controlled manner versus just continuing kind of the the broader free-for-all that we've seen historically um, that has really led to a lot of challenges um, that are the reason kind of everyone is starting to talk about this problem in the first place. Yeah, and I think um, I was nodding because sometimes I find it painful to see both points, you know, because you sort of become maybe a little bit on the fence, but I think quite often when you sort of see the commentary in the industry, it's one or the other, like it is completely locked down, it's completely free for all. But the reality is that Marston should be a sort of happy medium where there is, you know, we have some tighter guardrails and controls, but not completely locked down to a handful of gates, as you say. So um, interesting to see where these sort of things sort of shake out and, um, but, but I guess let's take it sort of take it a slight step back. You know, we're talking about like regulating the use of online data, and you mentioned GDPR in Europe and the sort of equivalence and slight differences in the US. What's driving this? Like, why is there this increase in regulation? I think there's four reasons that we've seen this increase. Um, you know, first and foremost, we have seen missteps or uh, challenges from some of the bigger players that have come to light and shined a light on either some of the bad practices or practices that led to bad outcomes like Facebook data breach uh, way back in the day um, and just more exposés, you know, from the press on what's actually going on behind the scenes. But I also think there is a an acknowledgement um, that there is a lot of strategy and commercial um, opportunity in talking about privacy, using it from a marketing perspective, and actually designing um, your systems with privacy in mind. Whether you know that's that is the platforms like Apple, uh, Google, you name it, um, or whether it is kind of new technology that's coming to the forefront. So combination of bad things happening, freaking out consumers, the press, the press writing more about it and also companies recognizing that data assets and access to it are commercially and strategically fundamental to the future of their business and really thinking about kind of what regulations and the impact of them mean on their business both from a negative and a positive perspective got you got you and i think as regulation is not unique to one place in the world it's becoming sort of more um i mean popular is the wrong word but like more adopted in multiple places and you know, as a US, as like a European citizen that now lives in the US, I get asked quite a lot about the differences um, as a consumer, but also as like an industry practitioner. Mm-hmm. And I, I always think with the US, it's quite hard to just say US data privacy because it's different by states. Um, whereas in Europe, primarily it's driven by the overall, like you know, in Brussels from like an EU level, sort of ignore what the UK done with Brexit. Um, yeah. How do you think about that? Like, is that how does how does that actually exist like day to day? Like, how do you think about? Do you have to learn like these fifty different approaches, or is there something a bit more consistent? Like, for people who maybe aren't as familiar with US data privacy, like, how do you sort of approach that? So, 
The interesting thing about all regulations uh, globally around data protection, privacy, is they're all predicated on uh, the same framework. So there's a framework known as the Fair Information Practice Principles um, that has a number of different pillars to it, and they'll all sound familiar to you. Transparency, user choice, user control, security, purpose limitations. And so you'll look at all these regulations and you're going to see that they all have some aspect of that. And if you think about global privacy programs, most folks sort of build a program that takes into account all of those different pillars. And then they understand the different regulations by market. And generally speaking, they can kind of tweak it in one direction or another. So it's not just starting from scratch in every place. And a great example of that, and I think the easiest example for most folks to wrap their head around is user choice, whether or not you know you have the ability first and foremost to control a certain use case. And if you have the ability to control that use case, do you are you required to provide opt-in consent or do you have the ability to opt out of it? And you will see that flavor across all different markets. Interesting. And then it, with the US specifically, uh, where do does it get to a point where there is a sort of countrywide, federal-wide approach? Or do you think it will maintain as like California does X, but New York does Y and Texas does Z? Like, how do you think that sort of shakes out? I would love to say, you know, there's going to be a federal privacy regulation, but just given how politics operate in the U.S. and how regulation comes to be, um, I'm I'm not in the camp of people that really think we're going to see it anytime soon. So unfortunately, I do think we're going to be um, we're going to be in a world where we have different state regulations, and then within different states, we actually have other regulations that are specific to uh, specific types of data or to specific populations or to specific sectors. And we've already seen that child data, healthcare data, regulating precise location data, regulating uh, the telco industry versus the rest of the market. So it's a complex web, but again, it all comes down to the fair information practice principles. And if you kind of take a step back and create um, a program, that fits within each of those different pillars, it is a much easier uh, program to design and it's much easier to sort of run a business from there. Yeah, I was just about to ask that about like for business owners, you know, who I know you speak to and work with and how to, do they get nervous about this or they just, like you say, take a step back and be pragmatic about it? Like, yeah, what's their thoughts? It depends on, as a business owner, there's two things, two different things I've seen. Number one is whether they just generally have an appreciation for and a baseline understanding of privacy, both from a compliance perspective and a, what does this mean for my business strategically? Um, And number two, it it comes down to who they've actually brought on to advise them on privacy matters. So I've certainly seen, and I've worked with, and I generally only really like to work with business folks who have an appreciation for privacy generally as a fundamental right. And then also seeing the strategy around it for their business. Um, But then, you know, I also have seen a spectrum of different types of lawyers and, you know, in order to advise a business on privacy, it's such an evolving um, framework and it's such an evolving body of law and practice that you have to be really comfortable in the gray to operate. But, you know, talk to many business folks who say, you know, they can't sleep at night because of these challenges. And and that's just not the right 
answer. You know, you, you can, you can get a good framework in place and you can see what the opportunities are for your business. And then you also need to turn to the 8 million other things you're doing to run your company at any given time. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of reminds me of us companies who are sort of expanding to Europe and then particularly I'm thinking ad tech and GDPR was kind of, you know, becoming more of a thing. And then some of them sort of retracted. And I was always a bit surprised because I was like, well, if you had privacy at the heart of what you were doing, or at least a strategy around it, you'd be able to navigate GDPR. But to some business owners, maybe the the risk didn't outweigh the reward potentially. Um, and I was kind of concerned now, maybe that's what happens in the US. If you want to expand into it and operate in a new state, then people would be concerned. But it sounds like if you have a strategy around it and you follow those principles, you should be okay. Yep. You should be okay. You shouldn't freak out again. Sometimes you end up on the, with like the short end of the stick, but it's, it is a usual, it's a, it's a very low likelihood. Um, and if you've really tried to do the right thing, at least from a compliance perspective, I always say to folks, you tried, you documented it and you tried to do that. I think the gnarlier and more challenging pieces of it are the strategy. Like what happens when you lose access to data? What happens when you need to completely re-architect your systems? What happens when your clients start using another solution because yours doesn't um, and allow them to operate their business? Those are the real gnarly issues. Cool. And I mean, this, this question is a bit open-ended, so apologies in advance, but where should regulations sort of start and stop? So, for example, you mentioned like in online, it's now subcategories like um, child data, sensitive category data. Um, where do you think regulation actually might get in the might not might not be necessary, might get in the way? And then, sort of second to that, where do you think it's going? Where do you think it's going well? Where's regulation having like a real like beneficial like, outcome for the industry and users? So, I'll, I'll take the first part first. Um, where does it start and stop? So I think this is another thing that business owners sometimes don't understand. And I, I'm sure you've seen this play out is most of these regulations are advocating a risk-based approach. And they, so meaning companies should really take a step back, think about the personal data that they're collecting, using, sharing, and understand that they don't need to apply all of these requirements the same to every single little thing they're doing. You know, they need to understand where are the highest risks, where is the most sensitive data, what are their most sensitive use cases, focus probably the majority of their time on that. And then for the rest of their personal data, absolutely, you know, they need to tick and tie their boxes and they need to understand what they have in their systems and what they're doing, make sure it's secure, et cetera. But I think you see a lot of companies just start freaking out because they see the requirements. They don't appreciate that this actually is a risk-based approach and that regulators are not really looking to come in and, and do a lot of gotchas. And instead, you know, they're trying to ensure that user data is being used appropriately and that users are being provided choice over very sensitive um, or concerning uses. So that's first and foremost, risk-based approach, be pragmatic, be proactive, but also be um, pragmatic about what you're doing. I think in terms, and in the ad space, that, that really comes down to that use case framework of if you're collecting data and using it for fraud, security, um, really, really basic use cases, regulators are not that concerned about that. In fact, they don't want to stop that. But then if you get into the world of building 
collecting using data on users across sites, you know, to influence their behavior. That's really what regulators care about, especially sensitive data. Um, I think your second question was, where is it, you know, where is it helping? Like, where yeah, is it? What, yeah. Where, where, who, who or where is doing it well? Hmm. Uh, for better or worse, you know, I do think for some of, for those use cases that fit on the spectrum at the end of, you know, these really are sensitive use cases, use of sensitive healthcare data, use of child data, um, use of precise geolocation data, companies that frankly have no business, like building and enhancing profiles on users across sites or who are selling data to, um, you know, government agencies for user tracking, like that's where, frankly, these regulations are at least trying to do the right thing. Now, do I think they're actually achieving those outcomes? No, uh, but, you know, they're starting to move in the direction of at least being able to sniff out where that activity is happening. Um, and hopefully over time, you know, we'll really be able to target those companies that are bad actors and shut that down. Um, or at least ensure that they truly do have rights to use data. Um, I just want to dig a bit deeper into ad tech, because sometimes you say ad tech and privacy in the same sentence, people think those two things don't exist. Um, and you've obviously held privacy roles at multiple ad tech companies. And, you know, I sort of, when I sort of put together these sort of uh, questions, I was sort of thinking, well, ad tech back in the day when I started using it in the early DSP days, you would just try and put pixels down on anything you possibly could, there's a thing that everyone calls a single customer view, capture everything, work out later. And it wasn't like nefarious. Like I wasn't there going, ah, great, user data, great. Um, it was just trying to be more targeted and more effective and deliver you know, good ad results. And I think over time, that's kind of, you know, I think we've kind of realized, yeah, that approach may be not the smartest for, <laughs> for a bunch of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but so how do you think, like in general, ad techs have been handling this kind of increased regulation? Like, Going well, going poorly, bit in between. It's a spectrum. I mean, to your point, I don't think anyone started off with bad intentions early on. Um, you know, I've I've done I've done a training over time where not focused on data, kind of focused on initially looking at all of the different actors in the ecosystem and how they came about. And you're dying, right? It went from like publisher and advertiser literally exchanging assets and trying to deal with this themselves, and then over time different players spinning up to um, fill a gap, you know, where there was technology needed or there were services needed. And as that ecosystem built out, there's a lot of players in that ecosystem just generally. And then if you, you multiply each of those players with a couple of different service providers or vendors, uh, you do start seeing this giant Venn diagram of different players and then overlay the, the programmatic ecosystem in that. And, and that's really where you see data being shared sometimes with thousands of different companies on any given ad request, but it wasn't designed to enable thousands of companies to access user data in kind of a free-for-all and use that data. It was really, it was designed and it came about in order to solve real business problems for publishers, advertisers, and in between. So again, no one did it on purpose, but at the same time, those pipes that enable the sharing and use of data didn't, were not designed privacy by design, were not designed with user privacy in mind and user security in mind. So the biggest challenge now is the fact that there is a multi-billion dollar ecosystem that has been built on top of incredibly open data pipes because it was the most efficient way to operate. 
And you multiplied the players on top of that. And now it's a bit of a, oh my goodness, like how do we kind of put this genie back in the bottle? Or if we look at those pipes, how do we layer over that a framework? And historically we've layered over it a bit more of like an on your honor. And we're going to sign a bunch of contracts and say, we're doing what we're doing. Um, and that hasn't worked out that well, just because of a small number of bad actors. And so that's where we're seeing platforms start to remove signal. That's where we're seeing regulators come in and say, wait a second, there's gotta be a better way to do it. Um, and unfortunately, as that, those pipes kind of get unwound, people are going to win and they're going to lose. Um, and hopefully it ends up being the right sort of winners and losers. And hopefully it's done in the name of user choice and user privacy, you know, as opposed to just sort of a, the most powerful wins. Yeah. And that, yeah, there's just like, there's different, um, so some conflict of interest with how like data privacy is used by some of these like gatekeepers in particular. And I know there's a bunch of stuff happening with different bodies around the world to work that out. And I know like, for example, uh, the CMA in the UK working closely with Google on you know, their future with data, with, you know, personal data. Um, but you kind of see, you know, browsers, operating systems, let's say, you know, Google, Meta, Apple, um, they've all got ads businesses, you know, mm-hmm. burgeoning ones, good ones, growing. Uh, and most of them are somewhat dependent on having access to some form of personal data. So you've also got the regulators who are trying to allow for a buoyant economic industry that produces you no know, good things for GDP and employment, et cetera. But you also have user privacy and, and sort of restrictions. Um, how the hell does that ever like resolve itself? <laughs> you know, like there just seems to be there's so many moving parts and differing incentives where does that ever (laughs) end up finish yeah i don't uh, it's it's such a good question and it is such a tough answer i think of it um as a uh, you know the the scale of justice that you sort of see and it's sort of like a what is the word um a balance beam (laughs) and it, it is regulars really need to think about you know is is user user privacy, um, data security, data control, is that more important, you know, than some competition issues or, um, you know, do competition issues kind of outweigh data privacy. But I I do, I don't think it's sort of zero sum game. Um, and I, and I do think as you think about how those open pipes are being re-architected in ways that facilitate, um, user control, user choice, purpose, purpose level, um, limitations, there is a way to design this and there is a way to take the ecosystem um, and re-architect it so that there aren't just one, two, three controlling uh, parties. And you're going to, I think you're seeing that. Think about how the various platforms who control operating systems and browsers are designing Open APIs, you know, are thinking about how to potentially design um, controlled servers that enable first parties to deploy their data within those servers um, against the identifiers associated with the big operating systems and browsers, and then how you know they're trying to bring uh, neutral vendors to the table, whether those are clean rooms, privacy enhancing technologies, um, cloud providers, you name it. So it's really just instead of having an open ecosystem, you're going to have a much more controlled ecosystem up toward the gate, the operating system and browser. But within that controlled ecosystem, 
I fundamentally believe there will be kind of a new proliferation of vendors and players that will start designing for controlled use cases and access within it. And I guess those sort of controlled use cases and access is governed by regulators as opposed to historically, lots of these vendors just did what they want or do what they want. Whereas now you're going to have to be under a bit more scrutiny to how you might do some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And and look, the industry has an important part to play within those conversations because certainly they're being regulated um, and certainly regulators are coming to the table, but I don't think the industry wants an independent regulator to define, you know, the standard taxonomy of use cases in the ecosystem, for example, or to dictate, you know, what the technical controls should look like within um, that, you know, new controlled server. It, it's just maybe, you know, there'll be an incredibly technical uh, regulator in the future, but generally speaking, the industry benefits, you know, when they come to the table and say, thank you so much. You know, we appreciate the fact that you are trying to make this better. Here's how we operate. Here's our use cases. You know, here's how this technology should and, and is going to operate. We are facilitating all the requirements that you're asking us to meet. Um, but, you know, we we need to be able to continue to evolve and innovate. Um, and we're not going to be able to do that you know, if we don't have a say in how it's happening. We briefly touched on this earlier, but so the concept of consent um it gets banded around as a catch-all term to kind of somehow get away with all sorts of things i think with data and as you mentioned earlier like oftentimes users just don't have the agency to even really understand what they're consenting to so i guess like what's your sort of personal and also professional thoughts on like consent as a mechanism to collect data going forward to your point i do think it is fundamentally misunderstood you know you- consent is actually bandied about to describe both sort of opt-in and opt-out consent. It's bandied about by, you know, a lot of folks who just, just generally think um, they can just ask someone to consent to kind of like the entire internet and everyone accessing and using their data. I see a middle ground in shocking news. Um, And I, I fundamentally believe a user can only consent to, you know, more limited subset of companies and a more limited subset of use cases. Um, and it's, it's nearly impossible to have them consent to kind of the current ecosystem as it operates today. But I also think there's a world in which different companies um, and the way that they provide their services could actually move back away from kind of opt-in consent and a bad user experience. And if they are able to say to the user, you know, we we have a more controlled ecosystem. We have less vendors involved in our ecosystem. You know, we have less intrusive uses of data by them. Um, we can prove that out and we can do it in literally a technically controlled framework, whether it's a clean room, privacy enhancing technology, you name it. There's a world in which they don't have to pop up all these intrusive cookie banners um, and opt-in consent choices. Uh, and instead, they can give users the ability to to sort of opt out. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I, kind I, of a legitimate interest, like model, yeah. so to speak. And that's a very European way of speaking about it. But you know, back in the day when we first came about with the notice and choice requirements and an opt out around interest based advertising in the U.S. online behavioral advertising, the ecosystem didn't look the way it looks today. 
maybe it made a bit more sense. But again, now that we're in this ecosystem of thousands of different parties and vendors, there probably is an opportunity to walk back, you know, those pipes, but also walk back, um, you know, the number of players that are involved and really think about whether every single use of data that they're making is actually necessary to provide a good user experience and, and an ad supported experience. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like my personal opinion, my personal opinion is like consent is just like ridiculous. Um, just because people don't really know what they're consenting to, and I do think legitimate interest, as the Europeans would term it, putting the burden on the business is a much better approach. But at the same time, doesn't just mean get what you want, however you want. You've got to be much more cognizant of what it means for the user and who the vendors you're working with, and be more buttoned down than just and pieces of paper that are signed between a few parties. So, yeah, I'm with you somewhere in the middle, but I really hope that consent as a mechanism goes away because I don't think it's that helpful for anyone. Yeah, and look, look, like it, it is a good mechanism for, you know, I actually think kind of compare maybe the more traditional like online media space and then and then compare that to like uh, you're signing up to a very specific product or very specific service or you're like setting up a TV or a device where they can actually bring you through like mm. a loop where, you know, they walk you through, like, here's what we're doing and please tell us what your interests are. And so that's a bit more of like a zero party data uh, type structure. So there are certain circumstances where it makes sense. And I think a user really can appreciate and understand what's happening, but it doesn't work for a lot of digital experiences. Yeah. Cool. A couple more questions. So the theme of the series of this podcast is transformation. I said on every episode, but I say it again, the term's a little bit overdone, but like I'm super excited about what's happening in the industry. And I think particularly around um, data privacy and personal data, um, you know, I can actually talk to my friends a bit more credibly about what we do in the industry. <laughs> and I feel they actually start to understand what it is. Um, I guess like what's the one way you think that data privacy is going to sort of transform the next 18 months? So my money is on... Google actually moving forward with their cookie deprecation timeline, which is as of right now, next year. So I do fundamentally believe with that technical change that they are making in the Chrome browser, it is going to lead to change to the existing data pipeline, at least for, you know, display. So we will see actual adoption of their privacy enhancing technologies because people are going to need to use those signals. And I do think we're also going to see, you know, as that signal is removed, instead of it being replaced right on through the existing pipes, we're going to see the proliferation of more use of um, data clean rooms and privacy enhancing technologies within those clean rooms. Cool. Thank you for coming on, Judy. Really appreciate it. Um, finally, if people want to sort of read or listen to more of your thoughts, where can they find you? This is a good one. Um, I have been coming up uh, with some writing that I'm going to share on on LinkedIn for now. I've certainly been on you know certain podcasts and whatnot, and um, I've had a lot of folks asking me for written updates. So there's probably going to be some you know newsletters and whatnot coming out shortly. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming to that pod. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Wayne.